Are you a current or future physician assistant wanting to learn more about finances? Then join me on this journey to become a PA the FI way. Hi, my name is Kat and I'm a practicing certified physician assistant who will be your host. It took me five years after I started practicing medicine as a PA to thoroughly dive into my personal finances after I discovered the concept of financial independence. I want to use what I have learned to help you avoid some of the financial mistakes that I have made while sharing some of the financial wins that I have had along the way. Join me as we discuss financial strategies to guide you to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. Welcome back to Current and Future PAs to the PA the FI Way podcast, your guide to becoming a physician assistant on the way to financial independence. I hope you are all having a wonderful week this week. Last week, I had mentioned that I was going to be meeting my friends that I had met in PA school for dinner the next day. So there were four of us that met at a sushi restaurant, and it was all you could eat sushi. It was amazing. But more amazing than the amazing food was being able to talk to my PA friends and to catch up. We were there for five hours. No, we did not eat sushi for five hours, but we probably could have. During those five hours, one of my friends who had known that I had launched this podcast brought up the topic of financial independence. So we all got to talk about finances and financial independence. It was really cool to talk to all of them. I've said this before and I'll say this again. I really think that finances just are not talked about enough in society, much less the PA profession. Some of my friends already have their student loans paid off, so they are doing awesome. One of my friends had already heard about financial independence as well and had started reading some books about the topic, so she was familiar with the topic as well. And then another friend shared that she and her husband had saved a significant amount already in their 401k. So they are already well on the way to financial independence before they had even heard about this topic. It just goes to show that making sound and wise financial decisions will really help you set yourself up for future success. I have to laugh because one of my friends had pointed out that In past episodes, I had said that I often record these episodes about a week or two ahead of time before they launch on Thursday mornings. But admittedly, again, for this week, I am recording a podcast the night before when the episode is supposed to launch. But that's okay because I am trying to share some of this information that I hope you find very beneficial for you. In this episode, I would like to review a few different topics. Some of these topics may seem very basic to some of you, but again, I'm trying to use this podcast as well as my website as a tool to try to teach financial literacy to new PAs, current PAs that have never really been taught finances over the years, or future PAs. So a lot of financial literacy will cover some basic topics. And honestly, when I learned about the financial independence movement almost two years ago, I was not very familiar with a lot of these basic topics. So I'm trying to teach a lot of them to other PAs out there. So I would like to review 
with you today emergency funds, debt payback strategies, and the topic of whether to invest or whether to pay back debt. So let's say that you are a brand new certified PA. Now you are wondering what to start putting your hard-earned money towards. It is so tempting to use your new income on things that you have delayed purchasing while in PA school, such as a new car, fancy purse, new shoes, appliances, gadgets, toys, lavish vacations, etc. However, if you don't formulate a plan, your money will easily disappear on those things, and in a few months, you will wonder where it all went. The question is, do you create an emergency fund? Do you try to pay back debt? Or invest as your first financial move once you start earning an income as a new PA? All of these responsible areas are vying for your money's attention, in addition to all of the fun things in life. It's very important to try to figure out what you value in your life so you can try to formulate a plan. If possible, try to work on an emergency fund and debt payback and investing. But how can you do all of that? I'm going to review basic investing strategies separately in depth, but first I want to start with some of the basics of creating a plan for your income. Emergency funds and paying back your debt would likely be two of the top priorities that you would have as a new PA. Or if you are a more seasoned PA trying to get on track with your finances. So let's first discuss emergency funds. So how much should you save in your emergency fund? You will likely hear me say this multiple times, but it is a completely true statement. Personal finance is personal, meaning that you need to decide what to prioritize in your life which will help guide you to make financial decisions. You first need to decide how much of an emergency fund should you create. To answer this question, first ask yourself, what would constitute a true financial emergency in your life? Would it be something with a fairly large expense, such as an ER visit for a medical emergency that led to a large medical bill that your medical insurance does not fully cover? Or would a financial emergency for you consist of something perhaps smaller to other people, such as getting a flat tire? It all depends on what stage you are at in your savings and your journey to financial independence, as well as you and your partner's income. Second, ask yourself, what amount of money do you feel like you need to have in cash or in your bank account to cover a true emergency? This question should prompt you to think about how much money you truly need to be very liquid, and liquid means easily accessible. Often, if an emergency pops up, you likely could float some of that cost, whether on a credit card or just delay the payment if it's a bill that you received, until you can get access to funds a few days later from accounts that are not very liquid. Please note, though, that credit cards often carry a very high interest fee if you carry a balance. So if you do put some of the money for an emergency on a credit card, it's very important to try to pay that off as soon as possible. Otherwise, the interest will just accrue and eventually you'll end up having to pay a lot more than what the original amount had been. 
Personally, I think it's reasonable to have about $1,000 in cash, whether it's physical cash or in your bank account, maybe up to $5,000 in true liquid funds in case of a true emergency that you cannot access funds that are not so liquid. However, keep in mind that cash actually loses its value over time due to inflation. So that is why it is best not to have a giant lump sum of money just sitting there. So some people will have a giant emergency fund of several hundred thousand dollars that they have saved, and they are hoarding the money just in case, but it really should not just be sitting around, otherwise it's losing value with time. So that is why it is best to have kind of a smaller emergency fund, at least to start with. But again, this is another very personal decision. You may feel more comfortable and more secure having a liquid emergency fund of a very high amount. The decision is completely yours after you have discussed it with your significant other. After you have saved this initial amount in liquid funds, next decide how robust you would like to build your emergency fund to be. The general advice in the financial community is to figure out what your minimal budget would need to be each month, then save three to six months worth of that monthly budget amount to completely fund your emergency fund. However, some will choose to have up to a whole year's worth saved in their emergency fund. Again, that decision is completely personal. We PAs like to really think that we are a very well-needed and secure profession. However, I'm sure many of you have heard that the COVID pandemic brought to light how medical providers could actually be potentially laid off or even fired due to global pandemics. I recognize that a lot of people would have qualified for some unemployment during that time, but depending upon your financial situation, your debt, those types of things, if the COVID pandemic had affected you, then having an emergency fund very likely would have helped. So we talked about storing that smaller amount, whether $1,000, maybe up to $5,000, in a very accessible area, whether it's physical cash or in your bank account. But where should you keep the rest of your robust emergency fund? Well, you could simply just save it in your normal bank, but as we mentioned, if your money is just sitting there, it's likely losing some value over time. However, that's perfectly reasonable if that's the route that you'd like to go. Another option is looking into something called high-yield savings accounts. These are very similar to banks, but the money that is stored in there earns a little bit more interest than the minuscule amount that a regular savings account in a bank would earn. It looks like currently many high-yield savings accounts are yielding about 0.45% up to 0.6% on annual percentage yields. So keep in mind that your emergency fund would not be considered money that you would want to necessarily truly invest for the most part because you need to be able to have access to it, but I just want to review a high-yield savings account as an option to potentially optimize having that money being stored in a safe spot in case for an emergency in the future. 
So I just talked about how you likely do not really want to invest your emergency fund. But I do want to touch on a little hack that I've learned that sort of contradicts that statement. But let me explain. So the next suggestion is to consider using your Roth IRA as an emergency fund, or at least a portion of it. So if you do not mind if some of your emergency fund is a little less liquid, meaning that you aren't able to immediately access it, consider investing it into a Roth IRA. So I definitely want to go into more depth into Roth IRAs in the future as investment tools, but I first would like to briefly discuss how you could use your Roth IRA as part of your emergency fund because that is the topic that we're discussing today. So let's briefly review what a Roth IRA is. A Roth IRA is a tax-exempt retirement account that is for an individual, which means that the individual person, yes, that's you, would open your account with your post-tax dollars to invest through. So what does this mean? It means that a Roth IRA is not an account that's offered through your employer. It is an account that you would choose to open with a company if it is something that you would like to invest through. Unfortunately, not everyone qualifies to contribute directly to a Roth IRA. However, there is something called the backdoor Roth IRA that is a tool that can be used for higher income earners to be able to contribute to a Roth just by doing an extra step. It's a completely legal tax loophole that exists right now. So for the year 2021, the contribution limits for individuals is $6,000 if you are under 50 years old and $7,000 if you are over 50. However, you can only contribute directly to Roth IRA if you're Modified adjusted gross income is under a certain threshold, which is $125,000 for single filers with partial contribution phase out up to $140,000 and $198,000 for married filing jointly filers with partial contribution phase out up to $208,000 for the year 2021. So how can a retirement account be used as an emergency fund? Well, your Roth IRA can function as an emergency fund because of the fact that you can withdraw your Roth IRA contributions that you have made over the years tax and penalty free for any reason at any time. Think about it. Because your contributions are already post-tax dollars, you have already paid taxes on the money that you would have contributed. So if you take that money back out of the account, the government wouldn't make you get taxed on it again, because that would just simply be too greedy. So a portion of your emergency fund could be comprised of the contributions that you have made to your Roth IRA account but not from the investment or the growth of the account. 
So this brings up an excellent side point that once you have opened your Roth IRA account and have transferred money into it, you need to make sure to do the next step to invest the money in the account. Although this is such a great emergency fund hack, it is important to note that withdrawing funds from your Roth IRA should only be done as a last resort in a true emergency. And why is that? Well, if you take money out of your Roth IRA to pay for the emergency, you are losing out on the potential compounding interest growth over the years. You always have to consider the opportunity cost of all of your financial decisions. I had previously mentioned in another episode about how this year was the first year that I decided to open a Roth IRA for myself. And I had previously discussed how the IRS lets you contribute to your Roth IRA for the previous year up until tax day of the current year. So for example, for the year 2021, normally you could contribute up to April 15th for the year 2020. And the reason why you would want to go ahead and contribute to the year 2020, even if it's the first couple of months of 2021, is because you never get the opportunity to contribute to the year of 2020 again. Whereas you have several more months of the year 2021 to try to save money and hopefully be able to max out your Roth IRA for 2021 as well. However, the IRS recently did update that they extended the due date of April 15, 2021 to May 17, 2021 to be the new due date for being able to contribute to your Roth IRAs as well as your HSAs for the previous year. So this is great news for you. You have more than a whole extra month to consider if opening a Roth IRA is the best move for you. Now that you have a plan to fund your emergency fund, let's move on to figuring out how to optimize paying back all of your debt. So let's review some debt payback strategies. As a new PA, you very likely have a huge heaping pile of student loan debt. However, you may have other consumer debt as well, such as a car payment, credit card debt, or debt from purchasing new toys and financing them in the process. So how do you manage paying off all of this debt? Well, once again, you need to make a plan to try to pay off your debts. Otherwise, you may make payments on your debt for seemingly forever and very likely accumulate more debt in the process. So let's review two commonly used debt payback strategies. The first is called the snowball method. This concept has been popularized by one of the financial gurus that I'm sure many of you have heard of, Dave Ramsey. Before we discuss the snowball method, I would first like to say a brief word about Dave Ramsey and what he tries to teach in regards to finances. He really does have a lot of good advice that has helped many people get out of debt. However, there are some of his principles that many in the financial independence community completely disagree with. 
For example, he is completely opposed to credit cards, whereas many in the FI community will strategically use credit cards to earn travel rewards to travel the world for almost free. I've heard some say that Dave Ramsey is like the gateway drug for the FI community, and I have to say that that analogy is absolutely hilarious to me because I think it's pretty true. So let's get back to the snowball method. What is it and how does it work? First of all, you would make a list of all of your debts from the smallest amount to the highest amount of debt. The snowball method is essentially paying back your smallest debt first while continuing to make minimum payments on the rest of your debts. Then, once your smallest debt is paid off, you roll that payment amount that you had been paying towards that debt to the next smallest debt. And once that amount is paid back, you roll that amount towards your next smallest debt, and so on and so forth, so that the debt payback continues to roll like a snowball would down a hill. The debt snowball method is ideal for those who need psychological wins while paying back debt, because with this method, you start to check off your debts one by one pretty quickly. However, it's not necessarily as financially optimal compared to another method. The other debt payback strategy method that is often used is called the avalanche method. How the avalanche method differs from the snowball method is that you would write down all of your debts in order from highest interest down to the debt with the lowest interest. Then start paying back the debt with the highest interest rate first. Doing so makes the most sense mathematically because you will save more on interest over time. However, you do not get the quick psychological wins that the snowball method will give you. So which method should you pick? Well, determine if you want to save more on interest over time with the avalanche method, or if you'd like to obtain more psychological wins more quickly with the snowball method. The bottom line is to choose a debt payback strategy and take action to implement it. However, any high interest debt over 10% should really be paid off ASAP. You should really prioritize paying off that debt as soon as possible because that interest amount just keeps accumulating over time, making the amount you have to pay back even more and more. So some examples of high interest debt is often credit card debt because sometimes they have interest rates ranging anywhere between about 15% up to 25%. Or another example would be payday loans if you have those. The longer it takes you to pay off these debts with high interest rates, the more of your hard-earned money gets flushed down the toilet, figuratively speaking, of course. Consider trying to pay back your debt aggressively by cutting back on expenses or wants and wishes, and by picking up more work either as a PA or other side jobs, or even consider selling things around the home that you are no longer using, and then use that money to put towards your debt payback strategy. So this conversation may bring up the next question in your mind that is very common. Should you pay off debt or should you invest? 
So this is once again another personal decision in personal finance. If you are very debt adverse and hate carrying that debt with you, you may elect to put every extra penny towards your debt. However, if you don't mind carrying some debt while investing, particularly if it has lower interest rates, often doing both, paying off debt and investing, can be the mathematically better decision than just focusing on paying off your debt. Why can trying to invest at least some be a better decision than only paying back debt? Well, this answer has a couple of parts. First, if you do not get your employer match in a retirement account, such as a 401k, 457b, etc., if you are offered an employer match, then you are literally leaving free money on the table. You should always, at minimum, invest the amount to get the full match amount. Secondly, if you delay investing early in your career to focus on paying back all of your debt, you are missing out on the magic of compound interest. Compound interest in an investment account needs time to build upon itself and increase in value over the years. So in this episode, we reviewed emergency funds, debt payback strategies, and we talked about how it's probably ideal to try to invest at least some while you are trying to pay off your debt. In the future, we will review the types of investments that are generally suggested in the financial independence community, as well as some of the order of operations for prioritizing the different investment accounts out there. You know, which investment account to focus on if you have access to several different types of accounts. As always, I sincerely appreciate that you took the time to take a listen to this episode today. If you found this information valuable, please go ahead and leave a five-star review and write a review and leave in the comments what you found enjoyable and helpful. More importantly, please share this episode and this podcast with another current or future PA who you think would benefit from this information. If you would like to follow along on social media, feel free to follow on Instagram at PA the FI way and come on over and enjoy the PA the FI way community in the Facebook group. This group really expanded this past week because one of my friends shared the group information with the physician assistant moms money talk Facebook group. And it seems like a lot of PA moms have joined the group, which has been great to have all of you ladies. And I hope that you consider sharing the group and sharing this information to other PAs that you know so we can continue to build this community. I would love to see this community be built so that we can all support each other and encourage each other as we continue on our journeys to reach financial independence. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope that you decide to continue to join me along this journey of becoming a PA the FI way. 
please take a moment to press the subscribe button on the platform that you are listening to this on. But more importantly, consider sharing with another current or future PA that could benefit from the information that we reviewed in this episode. Take care and have a great rest of your day. Until next time.